Well, Merry Christmas again. I've had the privilege uh, to be married 19 years this year, and uh, nothing says uh, being married a long time like remembering kind of all the different uh, Christmas traditions that get blended when families come together, and nothing kind of highlights all the differences that, you know, how you were raised and how your spouse was raised, kind of like Christmas. Uh, some of our new couples might be figuring this out uh, for the first couple of years here, but uh, the cycle of families, it kind of shows us uh, on Christmas morning what our traditions and uh, different upbringings that we had and expectations we had uh, for this glorious morning. Uh, who in here is the kind of family where you are a wake up in your pajamas and go ahead and open the presents in your pajamas kind of family? Okay, the majority of us. Then there's others, wake up, do stockings, pause, get the coffee going, take showers, get dressed, reconvene in the living room, and then open your presents kind of family. Who's that? All right, looking nice, coming in, smelling fresh, right? You've brushed your teeth, all those good things. Uh, some of us just put on our Christmas presents, you know, who it was from and then, uh, and then who it is to, and you just put the person's name. Our family has a tradition of not putting a single person's real name on the package, either as the giver or the receiver. We make up nicknames based upon the year for who you were, and then we keep those tags. Yes, we keep them, I don't know, indefinitely. We even have some picture frames, just all those tags of silly names uh, that are there. Well, the one that uh, was difficult for me to get used to and kind of becoming a part of Laura's family was how they do thank yous. You see, my family, they said thank you. And we meant it. <laughs> and, and that was good enough. And so when grandma bought you a sweater, you said, thank you. And grandma understood that you meant to thank her. <laughs> and that was enough. <laughs> but in Laura's household, a thank you note is the currency of the day that has some uh, weight to it. And so uh, you, after you receive your gift, you write a thank you note expressing your heartfelt thanks and appreciation. And it is mailed to each person that gave you a gift. Now, that's fine. It's pretty, you know, normal to do that. But that expectation really changes how you open presents. Because now you open presents with someone who is a scribe. You open presents with a pen and paper to make sure that you know that that gift came from that person and you have to keep an account so that everyone can get their letter in the mail. But you know how it goes. It's a frenzy. And sure enough, every year without fail, something slips through the cracks. There is one present whose origin is a mystery. Someone forgot to write it down properly, the tag fell off, whatever the case is. But here is this great gift who is opened without any idea of who it is from. And here's a point for this morning. In order to respond properly to a gift, you need to know its origin. In order to respond appropriately to a gift, you need to know its origin, where it came from, so that you can say thank you, right? We're all used to hearing that Jesus is the greatest gift of Christmas, but we often miss the significance of that gift because we don't understand who gave it, right? 
why he gave it, and what to do with it. I'm reminded of Rudyard Kipling's simple little poem. It says this, I have six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who, right? Our text this morning actually answers all of those questions. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 is perhaps the best Christmas summary in the whole Bible. The early church read these verses as they celebrated Christ's birth together every year because the what, the who, the where, the when, the why is all right here. First, the what of Christmas, God sent forth His Son. That's what Christmas is all about. God sent forth His Son. Verse 4 It is not about elves. It's not about the North Pole. It's about God who entered history to send us a Savior. You wouldn't have to even know the Bible to figure that out. You could just look at the word Christmas to understand it. If you break it down, the word mass is the Latin word for to send, and the word Christ is Christ, the sending of Christ. That's literally what Christmas means, and that is the what of Christmas, that God sent forth His Son. The who of Christmas. Well, who exactly is this Christ? It says in verse 4 that God sent forth His Son. Not a substitute, not a surrogate. He sent forth His only Son. It doesn't say at Christmas that God created His Son. You know, for us, our birth marks our beginning. Christ's birth does not mark his beginning. He has been one with the Father through eternity past. He is known in Revelation as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The who of Christmas is not that Jesus became God. It is that God became man. The where of Christmas. Where did God send him? Well, he didn't just send him from like, you know, Bethlehem to Jerusalem. He didn't even send him from the manger to the cross. God the Father sent his son all the way down from heaven to earth. It's a good point for us to just pause on and to reflect that we have to recognize that Christmas is trying to tell us this important truth. He sent him all the way down from heaven to us because we could not make it all the way up to him, right? No matter your determination, no matter uh, how disciplined you are, we can never make it up to God. Christmas is telling you that you cannot get to heaven on your own, that we did not first love God, but that he first loved us, and that he had to come to us first. And he came to us in the person of his son, right? The when of Christmas. Well, when did Christ come? When did Christ come? Excuse me. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come. The fullness of time. What that is supposed to imply to you is that his coming was no accident. It was a plan. It wasn't willy-nilly like, oh, let's just do this today. What do you think? Sure, I'll do it. Let's go for it. No, you should be thinking here a matter of completion, all the pieces of the puzzle fitting together perfectly, and at the fullness of the time, Christ came. Now, what does the fullness of the time actually mean? Scholars really don't know, but they have some suggestions for us. It was a time in which there was peace. There was Rome and, uh, had, had, was ruling the world at that time, and so there was a common language, There was an extensive road system for commerce and urbanization. It was a great time for Christianity to spread. 
But on another level, it actually looked utterly impossible, right? Think about it this way. The boot of Rome was firmly on the neck of the Jews. And so how could a peasant Jew, how could one born of a woman of questionable reputation upend this Roman juggernaut? What could he do to change the Jewish situation? Well, Christmas reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. For the fullness of the time, God sent forth His sons. God's plans are never thwarted. He can overcome any odd in your life. And at the fullness of the time, God did what He had planned. And we know that Christianity did bloom with the advent of Christ because all of our calendars are kind of divided before Christ's birth and the year of our Lord after this single lowly birth. Well, how did all this happen? The how of Christmas. It tells us here uh, that in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Here it is. How? Born of a woman, born under the law. He was born of a woman. And here we all have something in common with Christ, right? We all have mothers who have given birth to us, and so too with Jesus. He had a mother who gave birth to him, He was made like us. He fully participated in our human condition. He experienced all the temptations that we have. And Jesus entered earth, not as an impersonal God, aloof or estranged, not abstract, not the impersonal blind force or the first cause. He identifies with us. He became in flesh like us, and not in an ornate palace filled with silk, but in a filthy manger born to a scared woman who was a mere child herself. And he was also born under the law, right? This means that he was born into the sinful world. God cares about this world that he created. And like any good father, he can't turn his back when those made in his image hurt each other. The father wants to step in and do something. And so where we failed by not being able to live under the law, not being able to obey it, Jesus succeeded, right? He lived how we should have lived. Only he lived under the law, fulfilling all of the righteous requirements, fully pleasing the Father in every step of the way. That's why he came. He came to redeem those who are under the law, the why of Christmas. God sent forth his son, why? It says here, to redeem those under the law. Well, if the consumer nature of Christmas has taught us anything that's of value, it's that we have needs. I mean, at least at Christmas time, you begin to think, I should make a list of the things that I need or the things that I want, you know, at the very least, right? And so we make a list for ourselves of things that we want or things that we believe we need. And it reminds us that we come to Christmas as needy people, whether in need of physical health, a job, spouse, children, we come needy. Those are things that we need. And even if we got all of those things that we could possibly want, it is still possible to have all the things of this world and still feel lost, alone, frustrated with this world. And that's because we have another need that we all share. It's a need that tops any Christmas wish list, and that is the need to be set free to be liberated. It's the need of redemption. That's exactly why 
Christ came. He came, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. The Bible understands that we are not born free, but that we are born slaves. Not slaves to another man or slaves to a nation. No, it is a slavery that is far worse and more extensive than that. We are slaves to sin. We like to think of ourselves at Christmas time probably like that fancy utensils that you only use at Christmas. You know those ones that are kind of kept in the drawer that you never use? And you bring them out at these special occasions and you polish them up and you make them look like the grandeur that they once were. And I think that just in the good old Christmas spirit, we like to kind of think, you know what, we're basically good people. And then if we just kind of polish ourselves up a little bit, we too would look as fancy and shiny and sharp as that nice stemware that we have that we haven't used since last year. That's not how the Bible looks at it. The Bible says that we are actually corrupt from the inside. Circumstances are not the reason why we sin. Circumstances just give us the opportunity to reveal what's already going on in our hearts. So whether it's greed, anxiety, anger, lust, or pride, if you wrestle with any of those things, you know how strong sin sticks to you. You can break a bad habit, but you probably have found out that it just gets replaced by another bad habit. None of us can break all of our bad habits. We need to be set free. We need redemption. That's why Christ came. He arrived in a manger but his destination was a cross in Jerusalem. Because the Bible says in Galatians 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming himself a curse for us. He bore our sins when, we, when he didn't have to. He became accursed so that we could be accepted as sons. The sentence was death, death that we deserved, but he took our punishment so we could enter his reward. God sent forth his son. So it says in verse 4, I just love the, the beauty of the structure of this text. Go ahead and see that with me. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. Just kind of hang that there. That's how it begins. That's the first bookend. And look at how verse 5 ends. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Here we have it, Right? It is because Jesus became a man that he could redeem mankind. It is because he was righteous under the law that he could redeem unrighteous man. And it is because he is God's son that he enables us to be called the sons of God. God sent forth his son so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the meaning of Christmas. So as you look to your gifts later today, unless... Anybody actually wake up nice, bright, and early and open them all now? Because we're all waiting. All right. We're all waiting. As you look at those gifts later today, remember that all of those gifts point you to the greatest gift. The gift of Jesus Christ, who wrapped himself in flesh to be torn for you. I think that should make us want to follow Jesus more than on Christmas and Easter. He deserves the worship of our lives every day. And we gather not just two times a year as Christers, as somebody says, but we gather because this Jesus is the greatest present who wrapped himself in flesh, torn for us so that we could receive and become the sons of God.
What a great meditation to think on the who, the what, the why, the meaning of Christmas. I pray that you'll know its origins, that you could say thank you to Jesus on his birth. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your arrival. Thank you for your rescue. I pray that would fill your heart with joy this Christmas and the hope that he will return, that you will see him and that you'll be made like him as you stand in his presence. No more with faith, but love bursting in your hearts because this God has come to save you. Let's stand and sing.